0: Does talking about your money make you cringe? Are you tired of fighting about finances? Do you want to stop sabotaging your financial happiness? Then you are in the right place. Welcome to Breaking Money Silence, a podcast series aimed at helping all of us talk more openly about money. Your host, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, is doing what she does best. As a young girl, She was scolded for talking too much to her neighbors in class. After years of trying to be quiet, she discovered that speaking up about taboo topics is her strength. International speaker, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection, Kathleen understands money and our relationship with it. She is a wealth psychology expert who has helped thousands of advisors and clients communicate more effectively about money. Now, listen to Kathleen as she assists today's guest in busting their favorite money myth wide open.
1: Nothing Funny About Money is the brainchild of hosts Matt Gorin and Michael Jean Thomas from the College of Family and Consumer Science Department of Financial Planning, Housing, and Consumer Economics at the University of Georgia. I had the opportunity to meet Matt and Michael when I was a guest on Nothing Funny About Money, and I decided to invite them onto my podcast, Breaking Money Silence. Matt is an adjunct assistant professor, and Michael is a doctoral student in the department. They both aim to have the show provide some levity and humor to an otherwise scary topic of money. And you know I always like to say that learning about money can be fun. Matt and Michael do this by focusing less on money and more on the quality of life, setting goals, and being solution-oriented. Money is not viewed as the main thing, but as a means to help people live the life they hope for. So please welcome Matt Gorin and Michael Jean Thomas to the podcast today.
2: Thanks for having us. Uh, We appreciate being here.
1: Yeah, I'm super excited to dive
3: into this myth Uh, that you chose to bust wide open called, Everyone is Saving for the Future But Me. (laughs) Michael, um, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about why you two chose that myth to bust wide open.
2: Absolutely. And again, thanks for having us. Uh, I think that the biggest piece here is that Matt and I have the opportunity to, to work with a lot of individuals and a lot of families with regards to financial well-being, financial literacy, financial literacy type efforts. And something that we come across very often is that there's a lot of misinformation out there and that misinformation actually impacts that individual or family because they feel that they're so far behind everyone else on their financial journey. And when that happens, what we found is that they typically tend to start uh, avoiding making decisions to make their situation better and one of the reasons why we wanted to have this conversation is that we wanted to let families and individuals know that you might not be as far behind in this process as you think you are and there are a lot of opportunities to help get you where you want to be.
3: It's so interesting that we often think that the other person has their financial act together (laughs) and we don't.
2: Don't you think it? It, it is. It is. Uh, but it, again, like we were talking about earlier, there's that there's that misinformation piece. We we don't necessarily know. So for instance, there was uh, a couple, not a couple. There were two individuals that I was working with about a year and a half ago. And one had their home paid for and the other one didn't. And you can just see the one who didn't have their home paid for, like their demeanor just kind of dropped when they found out that someone their same age was kind of moving along in life a little bit quicker or more quickly. So so they thought. And then we actually dove into the why that happened. The person whose home was paid for, they had actually inherited that house from a grandparent. Right. So that other person was attributing these characteristics and qualities about this person. Oh, they have to have more money. Right. They have to be more consistent. They're better than I am. And when we actually started to unpack it a little bit more, we transitioned a conversation from where you currently are to where you can possibly be and how you can do the same thing generationally from your family. But a lot of times we don't ask the why question. We just look at the what is, <laughs> and we attribute what we want to attribute to the scenario.
3: Absolutely. And I think one of the things that um, I talk about in my book, Breaking Money Silence, that I think you're alluding to here, is the idea of curiosity. That mm. we take a lot of this at face value, right? Everybody's saving but me. Absolutely. Um, and if they look that, like they're in a better situation, there's an assumption about that as opposed to an inquiry or a getting curious.
0: Exactly. Now, be-
3: Right. Now, before we get into, like, you know, what you can do about it, I'm curious, is there any way in which this myth, even for a short period of time, can be helpful to
2: somebody? Actually, it can be helpful to somebody. Uh, the, 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 The interesting thing about what we do, especially working with family, sometimes this very scenario will motivate someone. Right. This can be all that they need to say, all right, I need to get my act together and I need to, you know, do everything that I can to get where this other person is. They're not ashamed to even follow up and ask questions of the individual who is where they want to be. So what's interesting that we all have these different money personalities and traits and characteristics. um, And it's important to know where you fall in, in that regard, because some people need financial counseling, financial help. More so than others and understanding where you fall in that realm is incredibly important to make strides towards your goals
3: What a great distinction that if you think everyone is saving for the future and you feel like that motivates you that that is maybe a healthy uh, Money mind script or money mindset to have absolutely versus if you are thinking that and feeling really bad about yourself And you mentioned the word shame. Yes. Can you talk a little bit more about how money shame Um, can trip us up, and um, especially in this scenario.
2: Absolutely. It's huge. So I I spoke about avoidance, and and Matt and I see this all the time. You know, when we're working with clients, uh, we're just trying to get them to open the mail, (laughs) right? (laughs) We're, We're just trying to get them to open it. And sometimes for our clients, it took them so much energy just to make the call to come in and sit down in front of us to even begin the process to ask for help. And Matt and I will tell you consistently across the board, after maybe the first or second session, they'll always say something like, well, this was a lot better than I thought. And it was because we don't shame them. We allow them to be open. We allow them to be honest. We dispel a lot of these myths so they don't feel like they're alone. And then we can effectively start the process of strategizing what their characteristics are, what works for them, what doesn't work for them to create the most effective financial strategy. But a lot of people who utilize avoidance as a way to deal with these types of situations, they don't ask. They won't ask for help. And that's the, and that's the, that's the scary thing about avoidance, uh, is that you're reluctant to be open or vulnerable enough to seek help. And that's incredibly unfortunate for, for for a lot of Americans out there.
3: Absolutely. And when I, you know, I giggled a little bit, and part of the reason I giggled is as a behavioral change specialist, You know, one of the things that I hear you two shooting for is very small changes of opening your mail. So in seriousness, um, I want to say that I understand for a lot of people that that's hard or that there's so much discomfort over dealing with money that they would rather just kind of put their head in the sand. And by no means is that funny, um, but shooting for very small changes is inspiring because I think if more people in the financial services industry had that empathy towards somebody's struggle or feelings about money and then really shot for very small behavioral change in a very non-judgmental way. I know this is lofty, but I feel like the financial literacy crisis would go away because we'd be able to talk about these things with each other. What are your thoughts, Matt?
4: Uh, So far, so good. That's my first thought. Um, I'm just sitting here listening to Michael talk. he he sounds pretty smart. He sounds like he knows what he's talking about. Uh, Okay, my thoughts about all, all this other stuff. Um, yeah, I agree that that these small changes can certainly make a, a big effect, and that uh, I'm glad that we're being so optimistic right now that when we that when we are thinking, people are going to look out at their neighbors and their peers and say, the problem I have is I'm not saving enough money. Mm-hmm. That's If that is the problem... <laughs> that, that would be amazing. That's amazing. Um, I, I think a lot of people look out and see their neighbors' cars and the bigger house and all the gadgets, and the first thought that comes to their mind isn't, uh, I'm not saving enough, but I'm not spending Great. enough on all the the cool gadgets. <laughs>
3: Touché. That's a, that's a great point a great in our point. consumer-driven yeah. <laughs> uh, society. Sure. So uh, what? how do you guys work with either one of these thoughts of everyone's saving and that creates shame, or maybe everyone is, you know, drives a better car, has a better house, you know, whatever it is, it's the old keeping up with the Joneses, right? That whole complex.
4: Yeah. So I think part of how we can reframe this is if someone says, I, I see so-and-so has the nice house and the nice car, If we can suggest that the reason they do that is because they saved up. Maybe they are a a great saver, but they have a similar job to you. They maybe have a similar life to you. So, you also can get those things. Uh, You also can save up for those things as well. And so, empower people with those comparisons rather than make them feel uh, ashamed or um, self-deprecating or something like that.
3: What just popped into my mind is the whole idea of values. The other night, my husband and I went to see an estate attorney. We're redoing our estate plan, as exciting as that sounds. It is
0: very
4: exciting.
2: It is very exciting. exciting. Everyone else out there should be thinking about how are we thinking about our estate. Yeah, uh, I did and practice what I preach, and I did,
3: uh, I did pair that with a nice dinner. So uh, <laughs> we both think of it as yeah, a positive experience.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
3: but the reason that I bring that up is the idea of um, values, right? So, you know, I filled out the form before we went in, and, and they have you, you know, list obviously all your assets and your liabilities, and I put down <laughs> our two cars. And uh, the estate attorney looks at me and giggles, and she goes, you put down blue Subaru, maroon Subaru. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, what's funny about that? She goes, most people are putting down Porsche.
2: <laughs> and
3: I thought to myself, well, that well. really speaks to our values, because I'm excited that I have a car that functions in Absolute. the
2: snow. <laughs> you know, we, there's a reason why we all connect. All right, because I drive a 2005 Camry. Matt just forced himself, <laughs> literally forced himself to
4: get a scooter. Yes, a 2017 <laughs> Yamaha Zuma. So I think nice. get that up everybody. I think
2: there's something in the air here when we connect and talk about these things, but it's very important.
4: <laughs> yeah, and I would say the, uh, the asterisks on what that estate planner said is most of her clients are driving Porsches. Most. Human beings, most Americans, <laughs> uh, most people around the world, are not driving Porsches. They're, they're actually, in fact not even driving cars at all. So that comparison for her might make her want to spend more money, and hopefully make her want to save more money. But um... absolutely, and it, and it's unfortunate too, is that we we kind of anchor
2: to to what's around us or what's most available to us as it relates to what success or even happiness may look like sometimes based on our circles. So, so for instance, you know, for your estate um, uh, attorney, it's, it's one of those situations where you can be working with a clientele, and that clientele becomes your anchor to what you need to signal to be able to attract, right, this type of clientele. Uh, we also do this in, like Matt was alluding to earlier, with with houses and cars and things of that nature. These are these are signaling things that say that I'm on par or I'm equal with you uh, in some respect. But what a lot of uh, our families and a lot of individuals don't realize is that those do come with opportunity cost. Those things do impact your ability to save or your capacity to save. Uh, there's, you know, the whole notion of uh, being house rich and, and cash poor, <laughs> right? Uh, and, you see, and you see it reflected in different ways depending on socioeconomic status, but it's the same thing. Uh, you know, people who are in a lower rung may invest more money in cars and things of that nature into people as they move up the rung, uh, put more money in, in their homes. But even still, you can still be cash strapped in both scenarios. And it's very important to understand that the ability to save, the capacity to save is really dependent upon the lifestyle that you're tethered to. And as you were mentioning, does that lifestyle really reflect your core values or you're just anchoring yourself to what appears to be the standard or norm based on what's most available to you?
3: Well, and what's also interesting in retrospect is, you know, if that had been 20 years ago, I probably would have felt bad that I didn't have a Porsche Mm -hmm. listed in my estate plan. And at my age, I'm like, (laughs) good for me. You know, I beat up my cars and then I buy a new one. So it has to do definitely with values and comfortableness with your relationship with money. And, you know, the other thing that that kind of in thinking about this, uh, you know, that's much more usually about what the person who's commenting on, their money mindset than your own. Um, So, if somebody's listening in today and they're saying, you know, I do buy into this idea that everyone else is is doing it right, whether that's saving, spending, whatever it might be, um, what kind of tips would you give the listeners on how can they start to get out of that habit and start to be a little bit more in tune with what they need or want to do around money?
4: Well, one of the first things I would try to get them to do is put a dollar value on their values. And so we're talking here about, I want a Porsche or I want a Subaru. Well, those things cost different amounts of money. Figure out what those amounts of money are. And then from that, you can build up a savings plan. And one example of this I just had in my class yesterday where we were talking about saving up for retirement. And, of course, this is an odd thing to talk to a bunch of 19-year-olds about, but that's (laughs) what we were doing. And uh, one student was saying, I would want to live on $200,000 a year in today's dollars. That, to me, is uh, the right amount of money. That's an upper-middle-class lifestyle. And another student said, I'd be very happy with $70,000. So these are two really different amounts of money that they're saving up for. And then we did the math. One of the students... The, the 200000 needed to save something like $15.5 million to be able to pull that out uh, in retirement. The other student needed, I think, maybe $5, 6000000 million, whatever it was. So, you know, one person needs more than twice, three times as much money as the other one does. Now, you could be the person who wants 70000 looking at the person who wants 200000 and saying, boy, I'm terrible at this. Mm-hmm. I'm not saving up nearly enough money. How is that person saving so much more? Well, they need to be saving so much more. So if it's motivating for you to look at this other person and say, hey, if they can save more, then maybe I can too. But if it's terrifying, if it's Absolutely. scary, if it makes you feel bad about yourself, realize that maybe your values are different than theirs. And maybe you're doing awesome Absolutely. for what your values are. I, I agree wholeheartedly. And again, what Matt's alluding to, so Matt was able to
2: provide some context To why someone would want to save more and oftentimes as individuals we don't get the context right we just see what someone has uh so for instance you know my wife and i we're going to go on our anniversary trip and we typically go to a baseball game somewhere our goal is to touch all the baseball stadiums that we can and i'm glad that she loves baseball yes i am one of those i'm just so (laughs) glad she loves baseball but the thing is is that you know when we post photos on instagram or Facebook about what we've done, where we've gone, the restaurants we've eaten at, all these things. We planned these things six months to a year ago. People don't get the context. It's not as if we just on a whim decided that, hey, we're gonna go eat at this really expensive restaurant or hey, we're gonna go and have the best seats behind home plate at this ball game. We we created a plan and we saved gradually towards that plan. Everything for that trip, as of right now, we don't go until May 28th, it's already paid for. Nobody gets the context. We get the, we get the snapshot. And so one of the things I would add to what Matt was saying, and I agree wholeheartedly, is that we're so focused on everyone else's snapshot, right, that we don't spend enough time focusing on what makes us happy, as Matt was alluding to. What really are our own values? What is it that I want, despite what anyone will think, despite what anyone will say, what do I want? What do I need? What will make me content and what will make me happy? So my advice uh, to tag on what Matt would say is don't make any financial decisions right now. Just take some time to really get to know you. And 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 a lot of us don't spend time at all Getting to know us, even what makes us happy. Like my wife will ask me, like, what do you want to eat or where do you want to go? And it got to a point that I was serving my family so much that I lost track of what I enjoyed. So I literally had to step back and just go try things to reconnect with me for a little while. Right. Um, Because I had gotten disconnected from that. And I think that we all go through that period because we were inundated with so much information, responsibilities, obligations, whatever it may be, that we just need to do a fast break, stop for a little bit, don't allow yourself to be distracted, and spend time dating you, getting to know you, find out what makes you happy. And then once you've done that, don't let anyone shake that foundation and go get what you want. Like Matt was saying, if $250,000 nest egg is what you desire, then great, go for it. How can we help you get there? You know, so I think that there's this this contention around what other people perceive us to be, instead of what we perceive us to be, and what makes us happy, and having the conviction to follow through on it.
3: Yeah, it's it's the uh, original tagline I had for my business was creating wealth from the inside out, and the I love idea that. of looking in before um, looking outward I think is so important um, I love your show nothing funny about money I certainly enjoyed being on it and I'm thrilled that you two were able to come and be guests on the breaking money silence podcast um, I know people who are listening in right now are going to want to know more about the work that you're doing um, so in addition to going to nothingfunnyaboutmoney.org and hearing the episodes um, that you have recorded or signing up to get future episodes um, how else can people find out about your great work
4: Uh, We're also on the University of Georgia campus at the Aspire Clinic. You can check that out online at aspireclinic.org. If you're feeling particularly philanthropic, we are always looking (laughs) for help for that pro bono financial advising that we do for students and members of the Athens community. And uh, we are also both members of the UGA Financial Planning Program. Absolutely. So you can check out that academic uh, research and teaching department at financialplanning.uga.edu.
3: Awesome. It's so fun hanging out and chatting with you guys. I love busting money myths with you. So thank you so much for your time today and your expertise.
2: Absolutely. And thank you for
0: the wonderful work that you're doing. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to Breaking Money Silence, hosted by Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, a wealth psychology expert and founder of KBK Wealth Connection. If you like what you heard, then check out more podcasts at BreakingMoneySilence.com or subscribe on iTunes.com. Need a fun, engaging speaker for your next event? Go to kbkwealthconnection.com and find out how to book Kathleen today. Be sure to share today's show so together we can break money silence for good.